I'm reading to you this evening from the book of Matthew, the 25th chapter. If you're a Bible believer, let me hear you say amen. These are the words of our Lord Jesus, and he says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. When the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Verse 5, look at it. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. This is personal. It's not something that really can be shared. It's something that you got to have. It's oil that you got to have on your own, by yourself. You can't make it on somebody else's experience. Wise answered, saying, Lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. Here's the subject of my message tonight. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. I want to minister to you tonight for a while on they that were ready ready. Shall we look to the Lord in prayer? My Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for the wonderful privilege you have given us to stand in this pulpit and to minister to the people that have gathered in this house. We ask for that anointing that makes the preached word of God effective, and I pray that you would move by your spirit and fill this room with your divine power so that the atmosphere and environment will be conducive for the word of God to go forth and to bear fruit and to build faith in the hearts of those who hear it. We are asking today that in Jesus' name, no one will leave this room in an unsaved, backslidden, lukewarm condition, but you will touch people so that all of us in this place tonight can come to the end of the service to see fresh oil fill our vessel and our lamps burning brightly. And we pray today that we shall all be ready for your return by the time that your spirit makes manifest his work in us tonight. For this I give you praise as I ask it in that name that's above every name. The mighty name of Jesus, our King and our God, and all the people of the Lord said together, Amen. I stand amazed tonight at how rapidly the events of our day are positioning ancient Bible prophecies to come to pass. The pandemic has been used by globalists in their quest to reshape and control the world. Are you aware that the scripture refers to pestilence as one of the end time signs, one of the dominant signs of the last days? But that word pestilence is not talking about some infestation of insects. That word is talking about man-made viruses. It's talking about bioweapons. It really means mysterious diseases. That's the original Greek word for pestilence. A mysterious disease, you understand, is not something that originates in nature, but it's the product of sinister scientists developing weapons of mass destruction. The present administration denied and then it admitted 
that Ukraine has bioweapons laboratories, and they have been doing military research on the plague, the Black Death, and the coronavirus. Russia called an emergency meeting at the UN Security Council some months ago and presented captured documents that show that the Pentagon and U.S. intelligence agencies were clandestinely funding this research in Ukraine. It wasn't just Russian propaganda. Other sources verified that when Ukraine gained its independence after the Soviet Union fell, that the CIA took over and continued to operate two dozen bioweapons laboratories. The coronavirus is not the last mysterious disease that will be unleashed from this world's hellish laboratories. There are others to come that will push the world even further to the time that the Bible calls tribulation and the time of Jacob's trouble. And today, we are dealing with coronavirus, Omicron, BA1, BA2, monkeypox. And make no mistake about it, there will always be new variants until the goal of one world government is reached. Two globalists in our government and other nations have manipulated the past two years of pandemic to create unprecedented fear in the public and use the virus to justify issuing multiple decrees that undermine freedom and exerted unprecedented control of the population. Their mandates and vaccine passports brought the world to the very edge of the seven years of tribulation and positioned this world for a new economic order in which no man might buy or sell unless they have submitted to a global injection that permits authorities to track and control. As the pandemic entered its third year, Russia seized the opportunity to invade Ukraine. And it's difficult to wade through all the propaganda that is circulating from this conflict in an effort to know the truth. But while corrupt governments are slugging it out on the battlefield, horrible atrocities are committed and over three million innocent people have been displaced. You know that Russia is the subject of the end-time prophecy recorded in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, where the Word of God reveals an aggressive Russia with its Arab allies attempting to defeat and destroy Israel just as the Russian army is now attempting to destroy Ukraine. The Holy Spirit said in that prophecy recorded in Ezekiel that God would put hooks in Russia's jaws and draw it to the appointed doom on the mountains of Israel. And as the Ukrainian conflict enters its sixth month, the hooks are getting more visible. Every military and political analyst is convinced that Russia's aggression will not stop with Ukraine, but widen to include other nations and possibly trigger World War III. Russia's might will soon turn south toward the Mideast, because Russia's Mideastern allies are now getting involved in the war with Ukraine. 40,000 Syrian soldiers are fighting under Russia's command against the Ukrainians, and it doesn't take much speculation to know that those Syrians and other Arab allies would not be fighting for Russia in Ukraine unless they had assurances that Russia will return the favor and eventually fight with them against Israel. It was just only weeks ago that for the first time, Russian forces in Syria fired on Israeli warplanes sent to attack terrorists operating in northern Syria. What I'm trying to show you tonight is this. God's word is rapidly coming to pass. Russia has an appointment with the Lord on the mountains of Israel. 
God saw that during the end times and actually during the first part of the tribulation there is going to be a Russian invasion of Israel. Ezekiel names the allies of Russia in that push toward the destruction of Israel. And the Lord said, when they touch my mountains, that's when my fury is going to come up in my face. When they come to the mountains of Israel, the Lord said, I'm going to rain upon them and their bands an overflowing rain and great hailstones and fire and brimstone. A lot of people believe that that fire and brimstone may be a reference to limited nuclear weapons. But I'm here to tell you right now, nuclear weapons are very destructive and we're going to see them detonated in the not too distant future. But God does not need a nuclear missile to defeat his adversaries. All the Lord needs to do is simply show up. All he needs to do is simply speak his word. All he needs to do is simply manifest his glory. And I'm repeating a scripture that I've already said in the service tonight. If we'll just let God arise, he will scatter his enemies. You see, the mighty God of glory is going to defeat the mighty nation of Russia and all of its Arab allies. And I'm serving that same God today that is well able to take care of my adversaries and every attack of the enemy upon my life, upon your life. No wonder the church is triumphant. No wonder the church is so powerful that the gates of hell cannot prevail against him. No wonder all we need is just two blood-washed, spirit-filled, Holy Ghost people that will join together. And if two of you shall agree upon anything, touching anything that they will ask, it'll be done for them by my Father, which is in heaven. We serve a mighty God. We serve a God that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to his power that works in us. And if you will let the power of God work in you, I want you to give the Lord, the Lord a mighty praise and show hell tonight that you are not going to knuckle under. You're not going to bow down. You are not going to be defeated. We've got the victory that overcomes this world. Even our faith. Come on and shout praise to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It was no shock to me or any other Bible prophecy teacher or student of the word. And Mr. Putin got up the other day, just a couple of days ago, and this is what he said, because the, the European Union, the European nations, and absolutely just about every country in the free world, including the United States, has put sanctions on Russia because of its invasion of the Ukraine. But Mr. Putin got up and he said, Russia will not be isolated. We are turning to the Mideast. And to those of us that know Bible prophecy, that's a very significant statement because it shows us God's got his hook in Russia's jaw and is pulling them down to the mountains of Israel. Hallelujah to the Lamb. But everybody else may be worried about that. That's shouting ground for me tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. Because when the Lord is finished with Russia, when he's finished with Iran, when he's finished with Ethiopia and the Sudan, when he is finished with Turkey, when he's finished with all these Muslim hardline nations that will ally themselves with Russia, when God is finished with them, when he destroys and leaves only a six of them, then the scripture said the whole world is going to know that the Lord is God. But if you already know that the Lord is God, help 
me preach tonight. This is an audience participation message. Put your hands together and bless the Lord with everything that you have. Every ounce of energy, every strength, all of your being, your intelligence, everything. Give him praise. Hallelujah. There are other signs that the world is soon to slip into the tribulation. All those signs will begin to surface at once, simultaneously. The Word of God reveals in Revelation 6 and 6 that a severe grain shortage will plague the earth during the first years of the seven-year tribulation. Food prices will be so high that one day's wage will only buy one day's supply of food. That's in Revelation 6 and verse 6. Have you been to Walmart lately? Have you been to the grocery store lately? You see, we're living in such a day, we're so close to the coming of the Lord, that everywhere you go, there's going to be a sign that Jesus is coming. And you can't even go to the grocery store without seeing signs of the time. Amen. I'll tell you what, if I wasn't saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, and knew my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life, there would not be anything that would keep me from an altar of prayer to be getting totally right with God. Because the coming of the Lord is so near, it's so close, that everything in our nation, our world, our economy, our government is screaming out that the coming of the Lord is near. It is even at the door. And there isn't anything in this world worth missing the rapture for. Hello? Hallelujah. You ought to stay up night without any sleep if you're not ready to meet Jesus. You ought to be afraid of the things that are happening. You say, well, preacher, you're still here. The church is still here. The rapture hadn't happened yet. We've got all these conditions that are erupting and developing. Doesn't that frighten you? No, it doesn't. But you don't know when Jesus is going to come. You don't know when the rapture is going to take place. There's things that you're going to have to deal with and struggle with until he comes. Doesn't that concern you? Doesn't that frighten you? No, it shouldn't. I'll tell you why. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I don't know about you, but I am the sheep of his pasture. He is my good shepherd. He's the shepherd, chief shepherd and bishop of our souls. And he said to his sheep, I'm going to prepare you a table in the presence of your enemies. And I'll make your cup to run over. And if that's not enough to get you from fear into faith, you ought to understand this. Never. Somebody say never. Come on, you people. Help me preach tonight. Say it. Never. I want to hear you say never. Would you make these rafters ring and say, never, never have the righteous been forsaken or his seed gone begging for bread. Never, never, never. Come on, make every devil in Woodward mad tonight and say, never, never, never. Come on. Hallelujah. He will meet our needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. One third of the entire world's wheat is exported from Ukraine. But those grain exports are in jeopardy. 
They had completely cut them off, and now they're beginning to permit some grain shipments to be exported, but it's not going to be like it ought to be. And the world is in danger of serious food shortage. Hungary's president is concerned about an emerging global food shortage so much that his parliament has stopped all grain exports from their country for the foreseeable future. After that happened, India quickly followed suit. And other food exporting nations are pulling back on their exports. Russia supplies two-thirds of the world's fertilizer. But in retaliation for economic sanctions, those exports have been stopped. And according to agricultural analysts, one to two billion people on the planet will face starvation by the end of this year. Already there are food riots in Iraq. And other countries in the Mideast like Lebanon are rationing food. They're rationing wheat. Here at home, we have to deal with historic gas prices and the highest inflation the U.S. has faced in 40 years. We have to face the disruption in the supply chain and the decrease in food production is exactly what the globalists want to achieve the demonic plans for a new world order. What I'm trying to tell you is this, these signs of the time are not something that just happened. They're not something that are spontaneous. It's not something that just takes place. It's not a, it's not a, a freak of nature. It is something that has been deliberately done. Because there's a spirit in the world called the spirit of iniquity, the spirit of lawlessness that is attempting to bring about the system and the government and the policies of Antichrist. Glory to God. I love to tell people that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But a lot of people just don't understand what the scripture meant when it said, greater is he that's in us. We hear it so much that it somehow loses its impact on us. And we get to thinking, well, the Lord's going to help me. He's going to keep me out of this worry and out of this anxiety. But you've got a lot more to deal with than just the normal things that people deal with in life. We are in the last days. And pressure is coming at us from all sides. You can't escape some of the things that I'm telling you tonight. This is not something that just happens in some foreign country. This is a global effort of the enemy to bring in the government of the Antichrist. That man of sin, that diabolical dictator, that possessed individual that is going to bring wreckage and ruin to the entire world. That agent of Satan is alive he is active in world affairs right now, but he can't show his face. He can't take the reins of power. He cannot proceed with his agenda because there is a force greater than him that is in this world right now. That force has got to function. Come on, somebody say amen. That power has got to be stirred up. Paul said, you know that he who now hinders will hinder until he be taken out of the way. He's talking about the Holy Ghost-filled church in that verse of Scripture. We are the great restraining power. The devil is not going to succeed in bringing about world government because of politics alone or economics alone or policies of government alone. It's a spirit behind everything that is being done. All the garbage and the trash that is coming out of Washington, there's a 
spirit that's behind it. All the vileness that is being propagated in universities and colleges, there is a spirit that is behind it. And you can't fight a spirit with political means. You can't fight a spirit with intellectual means. You've got to have a spirit that is greater than the spirit that's in them. And that's what the Word said. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Brother, when I raise my hands in praise unto God, angels of the Lord begin to operate and to function. And the angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear him to deliver them. When you start to pray, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Hallelujah. When you start praying, you get power to tread on serpents and scorpions and have power over all the power of the enemy. Oh, Holy Ghost, stir somebody up tonight. Stir somebody's faith up tonight. Stir somebody's anointing up tonight. Hallelujah. Come on, shout hallelujah. Okay, for you that are still wondering where I'm going in this message, I'm just going to tell you up front, I'm going to hit you high, hit you low, and turn you loose and let you go. <laughs> Hallelujah. What are we waiting on? Talk about revival. Your pastor talked about revival. I am personally wore out with preachers saying, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. What are we waiting on? Well, it's got to be a sovereign act of God. Hold it. Jesus said, whatsoever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive it, and you shall have it. The Holy Ghost is not going to coax anybody into revival. The Spirit of God is not going to bait anybody into revival. You can have it. When you decide that now is the time. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, don't you go up to your pastor and say, you made a mistake by having that, oh, that you fall a preacher in that pulpit tonight. Don't you tell him that. Don't you tell him that. I feel dangerously anointed tonight. I wish I had somebody that would get in this thing with me. If we did, we should cast out some devils. Amen. You don't listen, we can cast devils out long distance. Amen. You think everybody's talking about a person that's been cast out. I'd like to see the devil cast out of some universities. I'd like to see the devil cast out of Congress. I'd like to see the devil cast out of some political parties. I'd like to see the devil cast out of national and state capitals. I'd like to see the devil cast out of some courts. Is anybody here tonight? These signs will follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. The only thing it takes is to stir up what's already on the inside of you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is greater in you than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. 
I wish somebody just get up and shout for me. I got to preach this message. I ain't got time to shout. So I wish somebody just, I'm looking just for somebody by proxy just to stand. CJ, just stand up and holler hallelujah. Just stand up and glorify the Lord. Just lift your hands and praise God. Just magnify the Lord with me tonight. And let us exalt his name together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want a praise to come out of this sanctuary that's going to split and unhinge the very gates of hell. Hey, hallelujah. Glory. Be seated. Be seated. You're taking up my time. The man in the White House has already signed executive orders to establish a cryptocurrency in the near future that will enable the government to control everyone's finances. In the meantime, North Korea has resumed testing of nuclear weapons and it's expanding its nuclear program. South Korea and Japan feel so threatened by what's happening in North Korea that they're beginning to mobilize for a military conflict and wars and rumors of wars are across the globe. In the meantime, Chinese warplanes are invading Taiwan's airspace in preparations to invade that country. And just the last few days, Chinese forces have surrounded Taiwan and they rehearsed a full-scale invasion of the South China Sea. In the meantime, the State Department is caving in to Russia and Iran's demands to secure a deal that will facilitate Iran's plans for nuclear weapons. The explosive situations that threaten nuclear war have set the stage for a peacemaker to emerge. The cry for peace and safety can be heard on every continent, and the devil has such a man waiting in the wings. The prophet Daniel revealed that the global peacemaker will be a charlatan, a fraud, but be recognized as the world's hero. And it's written about him in Daniel 8 and 25, that through his policy, also he shall cause deceit to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. In Daniel's profile of the emerging world leader, he said in Daniel 8 and 23, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance, and understanding sinister schemes shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy fearfully, and shall prosper and thrive, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people, referencing the Jews. More information about this world ruler is recorded in Daniel eleven thirty eight, 38, where it's revealed that in his estate shall he honor the God of forces, which means he will seek military prowess and military domination. Listen, the Apostle John was given details on how the end time Antichrist will arise. It's recorded in Revelation 17 and 12. John was shown that 10 European leaders out of the area that was once the old Roman Empire, and I know people don't like history, but you really can't understand Bible prophecy unless you know certain things about history. The Roman Empire is something that plays a very important role in the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Out of that geographical area, 10 kings, 10 European leaders will arise and they'll exalt the emerging global leader and endow him with international authority. And that's the reason I was stunned when the president of France, whose first name is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. That ought to raise red flags. 
He hosted a special meeting of 10 European leaders at his presidential palace to plan for the formation of a European army and coordinate a response to the war in Ukraine. I'm telling you that man bears watching because the last time that Mr. Biden was with him in France, Mr. Biden was told by Mr. Macron, the president of France, and I'm almost repeating this verbatim, the time has come to revive the Roman Empire. Nobody's running to the altar yet, but if you're unsaved and backslidden, you ought to be. We're that close. We're that close to the coming of Jesus. He bears watching, and if his involvement in the present crisis results in a claim of peace and safety, then we know that the world is at the end of the countdown to the prophesied seven years. Listen to me. All of these head-spinning events are components of the end-time scenario mapped out in God's prophetic word. Jesus devoted much time and space in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Mark 13 to tell us things that were going to come to pass. He listed 21 signs of the end time, but he did more than just enumerate the conditions and events and patterns. Hello, I'm back on. I just paused for a station break and I'm back on. Those 21 signs are all in play right now. We are in that period he talked about as the beginning of sorrows when the labor pains have started. And soon the world is going to be engulfed in this horrible seven years of tribulation that John spoke about from Revelation 6 to Revelation 19. But before that happens, how do you know, Pastor, before it happens? Because I believe what God said about it. I believe what Jesus said about it. He told us in Luke 21 and 36 to watch and to pray always that you might be accounted worthy to escape, not part of it, not some of it, not a portion of it, but all these things that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 9, God has not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're saved today, the Lord has a different end-time plan for you than what the world is experiencing. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus said it in Revelation 3 and verse 9, that because you have kept the word of my patience and you've not denied my name, I'm going to keep you from not take you out of, not take you through it, but I'm going to keep you from the hour of temptation that shall come upon all the world, the hour of tribulation that will come upon all the world, and try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, my reward is with me, and I come quickly. Hallelujah! So I wonder, how many of you ready for the upward call? How many of you are listening for the sound of the trumpet? How many of you feel an upward tug on the inside letting you know that the coming of Jesus is near even at the door. Stay with me because if you get up and leave we'll all know that you got hit. After the Lord made these tremendous declarations gave this powerful information 
concerning the signs of the time, he continued what he was saying. Matthew 25. See, the, the, the chapter headings were put there arbitrarily by the translators. So when the Lord was talking about end time events, he wasn't finished. He wasn't finished with what we read in Matthew 24. He continued his discussion of the end times in Matthew 25. He said, then. Say it with me, then. One more time, then. Forgive me, I've been driving. I, my, my ears are plugged up or something. I'm trying to just say it one more time. Then. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. These ten virgins were actually bridesmaids in a Jewish wedding. And Jewish weddings were very different from the ceremonies that we have today. They were always held at night. And it was the task of the bridesmaids, those ten virgins, to welcome the bridegroom when he arrived. The wedding feast usually lasted for seven days and was considered to be the most joyous occasion of Jewish life. And by design, Jewish weddings included an element of mystery. No one knew the exact time that the bridegroom would arrive. It was considered to be a romantic gesture on the part of the bridegroom to suddenly appear and surprise the wedding party assembled at the bride's house. And although the bride didn't know the exact moment of the bride's room return, she had advance notice that the bridegroom was coming soon. And she was determined that his coming would not catch her unprepared. It was a mark of true love that the bride would be ready and waiting and expecting the return of the bridegroom. And the Lord said, when you see all these things, and everything that I'm telling you about wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and diverse places, when you see all of these end-time events, these patterns that I'm speaking to you about, when they're happening simultaneously, you do this. You look up, know your redemption is drawing nigh, but you've got to do more than look up. You've got to prepare for his return. And I'm going to be exactly honest with you tonight. The majority of people that are attending church are just not prepared for the coming of the Lord. My God, help us tonight. The scripture makes this very clear that unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Jesus was clear about our coming deliverance from a global judgment when he said, you need to look up, keep your head where it ought to be. There's pressure for us to be so involved and look down on what's transpiring about us that the day of the Lord is coming and we are failing to see the signs. Look up! That means more than the position of your head. It's talking about your focus. It's talking about your attitude. It's talking about your expectation. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I know that there's a lot of prayer going up about the election, and I'm one of those people that are praying about it. And I've heard and heard all of these voices that are talking about the dangers that are happening, and there's got to be something that will take place to take our country back. But where they're missing it is this. We will not be able to save America without divine intervention from the Holy Ghost of heaven. We have got to have more than just a reformation and more than a political awakening. 
awakening. We have got to have a revival. Hallelujah. We must have it. It has to happen now. The outpouring of the Spirit promised to the book of Joel has got to take place right now. Hallelujah. What good does it to expel the intruder in your house if you don't shut the door where he can't get back in? Amen? Revival. Revival. Real Holy Ghost revival. Real Book of Acts revival. Revival that will turn the nation upside down is not a pipe dream of a few spiritual fanatics. It is the promise of God that when my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. We need a reprieve and we can have it with a Holy Ghost. Hallelujah! Not going to stop from the top down. It's going to start in Woodward, Oklahoma. It's going to start in Ufala, Oklahoma. It's going to start in places where the world has never heard the name of the city or the town. All they know is people are getting delivered from alcohol. They're getting set free from drug addiction. Their bodies are being healed of terminal illness. They're getting filled with something called the Holy Ghost. They've got a change in their nature. they got a fire burning on the inside of them. They're more than motivated. They are driven by a power from heaven that makes them more than a conqueror through him that loved us. I'm looking for revival to happen tonight in somebody's heart. Amen? Please don't look at me like a calf looks at a new gate. I'm just preaching the gospel tonight. Jesus said it. He told us when you say all this, there's going to be trouble in the church. There's going to be problems in the church. The church is going to be asleep. At a critical time. Preparation for the coming catching away should be our top priority. And I'm telling you just clearly tonight, we can't permit anything. No habit, no attitude, no emotion, no pleasure, no sin to keep us from the coming of the Lord Jesus. And being a part of the great catching away of the church. According to one study, just 8%, 8% of professing Christians believe that Jesus will return in our lifetime. Just 8%. So few will actually be ready when he comes. What about the remaining 92% of professing Christians? Well, the Lord talked about them in Matthew 24 and 48. He said, that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming and shall smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken. And the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him and in an hour that he is not aware of. And he shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Don't be a part of that crowd. The Lord was clear that not everybody that saith, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom. And the apostle Paul was equally clear when he described those who would be caught away in Ephesians 5 and 26. He said the Lord is going to present to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Hallelujah. I don't care what people call you. I don't care what people call us. 
They can call us radical. They can call us extremist. They can call us domestic terrorist. They can call us enemies of the state. I don't care what they call us. What is most important to me is what the Lord says about us. And what he's going to do is rapture a glorious church. That's the tag that I want. That's the title that I'm aiming for. That is the word that I want him to say. You're a part of a glorious church. So I'm not going to let you stay in that world doomed to destruction. It was so that we would not be confused about what it takes to be ready for the Lord's return that Jesus spoke this parable in Matthew 25. He said, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. That word then is a reference to the day when all of the signs appear. And I believe that we are in that time right now. It is the time of the bridegroom's coming, but the exact hour of his arrival is unknown. When you look at this particular passage, it is evident that the Lord was telling us things, great things about the conditions that were going to transpire just before he returns and at the time of his coming, as the day wore on in the Lord's parable, it's evident that he is going to come in the time of darkness. He's going to come in the night season. Spiritually, mentally, physically, economically, financially. He's coming in the night season. But the virgins have been equipped with lamps that should sustain them in the darkness. The union is not going to secure your job. The king of glory is going to make a way for you where there seems to be no way. The darkness is getting more intense. The evil and the insanity is getting worse by the day. But the word of God said that darkness will cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the glory of the Lord shall be seen upon you. So arise and shine for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord shall be visible. The glory of the Lord shall be demonstrated. The glory of the Lord shall be manifested. on your neighbor, but on you. Why don't you just lift your hand and say, Lord, I accept the glory tonight. And I'm ready to be a candidate for that glorious fulfillment of divine promise. Let the prophecy be fulfilled in us. Show your glory on us. It will dispel the darkness. Jesus said, look at it. The kingdom of heaven is likened to the ten bridesmaids. The kingdom of heaven the kingdom, say it with me, kingdom. One more time, kingdom. Just want to make certain that you're still awake, okay? The kingdom, it's the focus of this entire passage, not the world. He's not talking about the world. He's not talking about the culture. He's not talking about the society. He made reference to all those signs of upheaval and destruction that will come in, in the previous chapter. But he said, when all of this upheaval and trouble and turmoil, when all of this is taking place of wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and diverse places, when you are beset with false brethren and false teachings and evil servants are saying, my Lord is delaying his coming, then, then the kingdom is going to be like these ten virgins. He enumerated many signs in the previous chapter which will dominate the end times. The appearance of those signs verifies that his time of returning has arrived. But in this chapter, his focus changes.
from the events and happenings of the world to what is taking place in the kingdom. Everybody got that? The kingdom, that's a reference to the born-again people of God, the community of believers, to the church. The Lord is emphasizing in this parable that the mindset and actions of the last day church will mirror the activities of those ten bridesmaids. And ten, the ten had a special function to perform. It was their responsibility to greet the bridegroom when he arrived. They were to lift their lamps that were suspended on poles and illuminate the entrance to the house. The arrival of the bridegroom was marked by the bridesmaids lifting up the light so all could see that the bridegroom was approaching. It was their purpose to dispel the darkness because the Lord will not return in the dark. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everybody that's looking for the Lord to come, say amen. He's not coming in the dark. He's coming to those who have lifted up their lamps and are dispelling the darkness and showing that this is the time the bridegroom has arrived. Are you still here? The Lord is emphasizing this parable talking to us in our time because we're the generation that won't pass away until all these things be fulfilled. The bridegroom is coming. He's coming. Jesus is coming. And he's coming regardless of the reception that is given to him. The welcome he receives or doesn't receive has absolutely no bearing on the timing of his return. He's coming if everybody's ready. He's coming if nobody's ready. He's coming. But our attitude toward his coming determines if we are going with him. Somebody say amen. Jesus is coming back for those who are looking for him, for those who will welcome him, for those who expect him, for those who are prepared to meet him. And this parable makes it clear that in a time of darkness, only those who are in the light will leave this judgment-bound planet when he calls. Those who choose to remain in the dark will be left behind. I'm going to hasten to get this message where it ought to be tonight. The number 10 is not a random number that Jesus chose in this illustration. 10 was an official number. It took 10 men to establish a synagogue. 10 witnesses were needed to make any ceremony official. God gave 10 commandments to guide the conduct and the behavior of his people. The Lord would have spared the wicked city of Sodom from complete destruction if there had been 10 righteous souls in it. Ten evil reports of the promised land condemned the Hebrews to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. It took ten plagues on Egypt to bring deliverance to the Israelites. Paul listed ten forces that believers are to overcome. Death and life and angels and principalities and powers and things present and things to come and height and depth and any other creature. Ten. The empire of the coming world dictator will consist of ten kingdoms. So ten is not a random number. Ten. There's a message in that number 10. 10 is the number which indicates a final decision has been made. 7 is the number of perfection. 12 is the number of government. 40 is the number of trial and testing. But 10 means a final decision has been made. The biblical meaning of the number 10 is that the time has come for people to be all in or they will be all out. No middle ground, 
No proverbial force. No proverbial fence. No vacillating. No oscillating between godliness and ungodliness. A final decision is being made right now. When you see all these things begin to come to pass, which we are seeing right now, it means the time, final decision has arrived. The term virgin is employed throughout the Word of God to indicate a spiritually undefiled condition. It's a term synonymous with purity. 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 11 and 2, Paul said, I'll present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. The 119th Psalm said, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep His commandments and that seek Him with a whole heart. During the tribulation, 144,000 Jewish believers will become mighty witnesses to the Lord. And the scripture des describes them as being undefiled. For they are virgins. And what makes them undefiled is that they follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. That term virgin is a description of a person's spiritual state. Undefiled, pure, uncorrupted, uncompromised, single-hearted, and completely devoted. The Lord made it clear that in the midst of universal upheaval, moral degradation, compromised convictions, collapsing standards of conduct, and false teachings, there would be a people divinely preserved from the trends of the time. They would be sanctified, separated, and a holy people who are watching for His return. In the midst of unprecedented moral decay, political upheaval, economic turmoil, social disorder, and cultural confusion, God is still going to have a glorious church without spot and without wrinkle. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Say amen. But this passage, this troublesome passage in Matthew 25 reveals that something sinister will happen to those undefiled people during the time that they wait for the bridegroom to appear. Matthew 25 and 5 reveals that while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Say it with me. Slumbered and slept. Say it again. Slumbered and slept. The night wore on and had an adverse effect on the undefiled. They had been vigilant, watchful, even excited earlier in the day. But fatigue and exhaustion and weariness settled in upon them. And they all slumbered and slept. They all grew weary in well-doing. The day took its toll and all of them, both the wise and the foolish, were in various stages of sleep. That Greek word translated slumbered means this, nodding and napping. Not completely asleep, just nodding, just napping, just being disengaged at what's happening around them. That word describes drowsiness, sleepiness, and lethargy. They slumbered and others slept, which means they had fallen into a deep sleep. They all slept, foolish and wise. Some were slumbering, some were nodding, some were drowsy, some were lethargic, and others were in deep slumber. And Jesus said, this is going to be the condition of the church when all of these prophetic signs begin to happen. There's going to be some that are just nodding, and they're being overwhelmed with the cares of this life until they're losing their focus and they're losing their commitment and they're losing their desire. And there will be others that will just be in a spiritual comatose state. They all succumbed to a moment of relaxation which suspended their purpose and made them, the reason, for, made them forget 
the reason for their existence. They were all distracted by something. All became fatigued. All became desensitized to the urgency of the time. And the closer to midnight they became, the more difficult it was to be awake. Their lamps had been burning since sundown. And it's now late into the night and the bridegroom had not arrived. Instead of arising to check on the condition of their lamps, they neglected the source of their light and closed their eyes. But what the Tim didn't know was that the bridegroom was really not that far away. He hadn't stopped. He wasn't delayed. His coming had not been postponed. He was making his approach as their eyelids became heavy and they sank into a slumber of false security. And Jesus emphatically warned us in Matthew 24 and 44, be you also ready for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. You see, what I'm trying to tell you is this. The last battle for the believer is not so much against the forces of darkness that we have fought against all along, but it's against spiritual slumber, falling asleep at the last moment. Waiting can be very tiresome and very draining. And it's ironic that just waiting and doing nothing can be more stressful than a whole day's work. But when it comes to the kingdom, doing nothing is spiritual suicide. The ten could have done things to stay awake, but they didn't. God's people living in these perilous times must do things which will keep us awake. That's why you're here tonight, to stay awake, spiritually to stay awake, to pray without ceasing, to watch and to pray always, to stay active, and above all, stay faithful. Touch somebody and help me preach tonight and say, you just got to stay awake. Turn to somebody else and say, this is no time to go to sleep. Tell somebody else you can't be in a spiritual state of slumber when we are living in the midst of perilous times. This is the hour to take the toll. This is the moment to take inventory on our lamps, on the fire that ought to be burning within us. We have got to have enough oil to make it through to midnight. Oh, hallelujah. Just lift your hands and worship the Lord with me right now. Blessed be the mighty name of the omnipotent and holy and powerful God. We worship you, Lord. We bless your name. I hope you understand me tonight. I'm trying to tell you as compassionately as I know how that the last battle is not so much against demons and devils as it is apathy, indifference, lukewarmness, compromise, and deception. This parable of the master epitomizes the greatest danger that exists for us in these last days. It is the danger of falling asleep spiritually at the most critical time of history, swept up in the trends, distracted by the cares of this life, diverted by trivial things, overburdened with material concerns. The deadly mistake of many undefiled believers is to permit ourselves to be immersed and controlled by the mindset, the lifestyle, and the thinking of the world around us. Unless we're determined to resist the stress, the pressure, and allurements of this present world, the enemy's going to succeed in chloroforming us into a deep spiritual slumber. Don't ever underestimate the strategy of the enemy to put un defiled believers to sleep. The undefiled, let me just define that a little more. The undefiled aren't rebelling against God. They haven't changed their view of morality. They're still upright and still following the same separated lifestyle. But listen, falling asleep is just as hazardous, just as hurtful, just as deadly 
as the sins which will keep other people earthbound when the trumpet sounds. It's not just the adulterers, the fornicators, the social drinkers, the drunkards, the corrupt, the thieves, the dishonest, the liars, and the backsliders and morally impure that will miss the rapture. All that it takes to miss his coming, miss his coming is simply fall asleep. Just lose your love for God. Lose your dedication. Lose your desire. Lose your commitment. Become cold and indifferent. Become calloused and unmoved. There's a spiritual numbness that is pervasive through the body of Christ today. The devil knows what to do to put God's people to sleep, to make them passive, uncaring, disinterested, and uninvolved. Jesus warned of the dangerous effects of this care, the cares of this life. He warned of distractions, misplaced affections, diversions, misaligned priorities. Priorities, you understand, are always getting out of order. And it takes prayer to put things back in order. And I heard the church say amen. It takes prayer to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things are added unto us. Hello? But you see, the oil lamps were extremely shallow. Those ten bridesmaids were excited when they got to the bride's home. Look around you today. This is the bride's home. This is the Lord's house. But it's not going to be eternal. Jesus is coming to take us to a better place. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again and receive you into myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Somebody say amen. amen. As wonderful as this sanctuary is, we are not staying here forever. Come on, somebody. We are headed to that city where the Lamb is the light. This is the bride's house. And it's exciting. Like those ten virgins, they were excited. The wedding's going to come. The most joyous occasion of Jewish life. And there's advance notice. There's rumors flying all over. There's signs everywhere that the bridegroom is about to come. We've got to get ready. Everything's got to be in preparation. We can't wait till he gets here to be prepared. We have to be prepared before he comes. Hallelujah. And every one of them were excited. It was all excited. Listen to me. When people walk through that door, I'm preaching as a, as a pastor, okay? All right. Cut me some slack. I've been after this for over 50 years, so just cut me. There is something that happens. I'm not supposed to tell this. My wife gets mad at me every time that I say it. But I've already passed my three score and ten, okay? There's something that happens when you pass three score and ten. You lose your filter. And I heard somebody say Amen. But it's just too late in the day to sugarcoat anything. We just got to tell things as they are. And anybody walks through those doors, there ought to be immediate feeling of excitement that rises up within them. What ought to excite them is the fact they are among the people of God who have gathered in one place, in one mind, to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. That ought to produce an excitement. And, for, and ju not just an excitement, but an anticipation. Hallelujah. We are not here tonight to repeat what God did last night. This is the day that the Lord hath made. He has got something more from us. We ought to be building on the last service. Tomorrow ought to be building on this service. Can you say amen? The excitement ought to be more intense. The anointing ought to be greater. The joy ought to be absolutely indescribable. This ought to be the most joyous place in Woodward, Oklahoma.
here, brother. Come here. Okay, just stand right here. Stand right here. Okay, just right there. Face the audience. Face the audience. Take this hand right there. Okay, point it up right there. Now, pat me on the back three times and say, good preaching. Good preaching, Pastor. Thank you. Did a good job. You did a wonderful job. Enter the gates of the Lord with thanksgiving. Come into his courts with praise. It doesn't take three songs to get us to praise. It doesn't take a cheerleader behind the pulpit to get us to praise. When you walk across the parking lot, there ought to be something on the inside of you that says when I get in the house of God, something unprecedented is going to happen. Hallelujah. That, that was the excitement that the bridesmaids had when they come into the house of the Lord. The scripture calls it first love. But as the day wears on and the oil is used up, people start to lose their first love. And they start to lose their first joy and commitment. And coming to the house of God becomes more than a sense of duty and rather the most exciting thing they've done all day long. That was the attitude of the bridesmaids. So the day was taking its toll. They were getting weary. Weary and tired of the wait. In other words, let me just put it out just real clear. They were getting bored. There is another name for spiritual boredom. It's called backsliding. Amen? You can't get bored. How can the world can you get bored with Jesus? How can you get bored with the Holy Ghost? How can you get bored with Holy Ghost-filled people? Hello? You don't know what's going to happen in a Holy Ghost service. Go to any other place where the Holy Ghost is not welcome and the Spirit of God is grieved and they'll give you a little program and everything is scheduled down to a T. It's 20 minutes for this and it's 20 minutes for that and it's 20 minutes for ministry and you better be out by noon or everybody's going to get upset about it. Now I have pastored the same church for almost 50 years and I don't start preaching on Sunday morning until noon. Because I don't want my people to be com- controlled by the clock. Come on. This is the house of the Lord. There's a different atmosphere here. You know what the atmosphere ought to be in this room? An eternal atmosphere. An immortal atmosphere. Because the presence of God is here. And where his presence is, you forget about time. Come on somebody. This ought to be a little heaven to go to heaven in. Yeah. You know I'm preaching truth tonight. Won't you be glad when I go back to you, Fallon? I mean, you are going to rejoice when I am done. Here they are, ten bridesmaids, and they've got an assignment. They're just not coming as guests. They have a mission to perform. They've got to hold up the lamps and light the way as the bridegroom makes his final approach. But they're in no condition to fulfill that assignment. Something's happened. They went to sleep. When they were awake, they looked at the condition of their lamps. The condition of their lamps determined whether they would be a part of the wedding or not. 
And what's going on on the inside of you, not what's going on up here, but what's going on on the inside of you will determine if you're going to be one of those people that will hear Jesus say, come up higher. Hello? But the wise, here's the difference. They all slumbered, they all slept, they all got awake, they all trimmed their lamps. But the problem was, the foolish didn't have enough foresight to take with them a little vessel of oil, reserved oil, that would light their lamps so they could fulfill their function and welcome the bridegroom when he came. And I can tell you today, oil, you know that oil in the scripture has always been symbolic and representative of the Holy Ghost. He, he's the oil of gladness. He's the oil of joy. Hallelujah. The scripture talks about in the 133rd Psalm about the high priest Aaron being anointed with the holy anointing oil of God that ran down his beard, even down to the skirts of his garment. He was saturated with that oil. He was completely immersed in that oil. Hallelujah. When he walked by, he left puddles of oil behind him. He had garments for beauty and garments for glory, but what made him qualified to get in the Holy of Holies was that anointing oil that was on him. He went in there with the blood, but the anointing oil gave him the power so he could function as the high priest. And it was the oil that made him able to stay in the presence of God. Come on, somebody. In the presence of his glory. Oh, hallelujah. No wonder the word puts such emphasis on being full of the Holy Ghost. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Help me preach. Touch somebody. Touch three people and say, you just need the Holy Ghost. And if, you just, if you don't have it yet, you've got to get it. You need the Holy Ghost. we got to have some oil if we're going to have some fire. We gotta have some oil if we're gonna have some light. We gotta have some oil if we can welcome the bridegroom back. Woo! But the wise said, Before I left, I didn't know when he was coming. I knew it was close, I knew it was near, but I didn't know just how long we'd have to be here. So I brought with me reserve oil. And I'm tapping in. My lamp's empty, but I know where to get refilled. Glory. Hallelujah. 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 I'm looking for somebody that knows where you need a refilling. Somebody that's got enough discernment. I need some more oil and I know where to get it. And it's the altar of prayer. It's in that prayer line. It's in the presence of God. It's in the, in the prayer closet. It's in praise. It's in worship. I know where to get the oil. The oil that's going to keep this lamp burning. The oil that's going to dispel the darkness. The oil that is going to make me qualified to be a part of the wedding when the bridegroom comes. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Well, I don't know if you're having church or not, but I'm having a picnic up here tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. How many preachers we got here? How many pastors, preachers? One, two, three, four, five. Okay. Got to tell you something about your role in these end times to help 
help the wise relight their lamps. See, just pouring in the oil wasn't enough. They had to do something to cut away the dead part of the wick so they could get some fresh fire. There was, there was an attachment on that little small vessel that was, had reserved oil in it. It was a wire, long wire. And what that wire did, what it was used for is you got where the wick was because, you see, burnt wicks won't burn. Charred wicks won't burn. So if you want some fresh oil and some fresh fire, you got to get rid of some dead issues. Oh. What are you talking about dead issues? I mean, I'm talking about that grudge that you've been carrying around for the last 35 years. I mean, you got hurt in church. And you haven't got healed over it yet. I told you I was dangerous tonight. I'm not to be trusted. You just really can't. I mean, it is. Whew, I'm something else. Something's got a hold of me tonight. Those dead issues. You're mad. You're upset. You're vindictive. You know. You know. Oh, goodness, there was a church split over the carpet back in 1948, and you still haven't got over it. Dead issues. Dead issues. You got to get, you got to cut off the dead issues. But the purpose of that wire, Pastor, was they went underneath where the wick was and poked it up. They kept putting the pressure on. They kept pushing it on until they could get it up where somebody could cut off those dead, jarred places of the wick. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that's my role tonight. That's what I'm doing in Woodward, Oklahoma. I'm trying to poke somebody. I'm trying to penetrate somebody with the word of the Lord that is sharper than any two-edged sword that pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. I want somebody, somebody. I'm prodding somebody to the altar. I'm prodding somebody to a better life. I'm prodding somebody to more Holy Ghost power. I'm prodding somebody to get closer to God. I'm prodding somebody to stir up the gift of God in you. I'm prodding somebody to get the kind of faith that moves the mountain so God can give you some fresh fire. Oh, everybody say yes. Say yes. Oh, yes. Raise your hands and give the Lord a mighty praise. Hallelujah. Jesus. Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Part of it was this fire is personal this oil has got to be something that you get yourself you can't you can't I can't baptize anybody I can't save anybody it has to happen between you and the Lord yourself and people do not know where to get that reserved oil I know where to get it it's where it's always been I hallelujah you've been raised in the house of God if you've had the wonderful privilege of being taught the word of the Lord by people who know the word of God and know how to rightly divide the word of truth, you are blessed today because you are not walking around in confusion and you are not just in a directionless pattern looking for some oil that you can't find. Amos said in these days, they're going to be from the north to the east to seek the word of God and they will not find it. But you found it 
and you know what the reality is. Nobody can confuse you. Nobody can tell you about transhumanism. They can't confuse you with transgender topics. They can't tell you that you're not a mother, that you're just a birthing person. Are you listening to me today? You've got enough mind. You've got enough word to where you know where to go to get the reserve on. Hallelujah. Still breathing? They got the reserve oil, they trimmed their lamps, and they're, listen, I've been amazed by that part of the parable, because the Lord told us every detail about it, every little specific detail, except one thing, where did they get the fire to relight the lamps? They trimmed it, they cut away the charred places, they take the reserved oil, they filled their empty vessels. But where did they get the fire? Is that raptor? Oh, oh, oh yeah. Just had to make sure. Where did they get the fire? To relight the lamps. What is not stated in the parable, but what is taken for granted is this. Somewhere in that house, whether it was a fireplace, whether it was a candle, somewhere in that house, there was enough fire to relight the lamps. And I want you to testify to somebody tonight and tell them there's still fire in this house. <laughs> we still got some, we got some fire. Oh, I feel it. Sister, I know you got it. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Sister, I know you've got it. We can light somebody's lamps tonight. We can light somebody's fire tonight. There's still some fire in this house to relight the lamps. Oh, hallelujah. But here is what awakened them. This is what stirred about way out in the distance. They heard these words. The crier started to speak. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Now that won't mean much to us Westerners, especially people that are in the culture that we're in now. But a whole lot, you can't really understand the impact of that parable without putting it back in its original setting, its Jewish setting. What was happening was this. The father would look around. He would see that the, the chamber, the bridal chamber, that the, that the son had been working on was ready. It was finished. It was ready to go. The final inspection had been made, and the father had told the son, you go get your... Mm -hmm. Elf. There was a forerunner. There was a head of the bridegroom. And that forerunner would start walking through the town, walking through the villages. He would go from one neighborhood to another, and he would say, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. And this is what happened. Jacob got up, and he said to Martha, You know, this is what we've been waiting on. 
This is what we've been waiting for. I've been listening for this. I didn't know it was going to come at midnight, but we can't miss this. We're not going back to sleep. We're not going back to bed. We are not going back to how things used to be. We're going to get up and get in that procession. So they got up and they lit the lamps. And when they heard the bridegroom coming, the man got up and he started out the house. And he said, I'm getting in this procession. The bridegroom is coming. They went to another house and said, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Hallelujah. And the housewife got up. And she said, I've been waiting on this. I've been looking for this. I knew it was coming soon. I've been ready to hear the call. I'm getting my wedding garment on. And I'm getting in that procession. Stay with me, buddy. Stay with me. Come on. The bridegroom is coming. They went to the next house. And they got somebody else and said come on we got to get in the procession we're going to the bride's house we're going to get who's been waiting there's a light that's burning there's a path that we're walking on come on follow me hallelujah come on the bridegroom's coming keep right behind me right behind me hallelujah hallelujah get up in this procession get up in this procession get up in this procession come on the bridegroom is coming go get out to meet him we fought a lot of battles we've been through a lot of trials We've been through a lot of circumstances. But now our day of deliverance has come. The bridegroom's on the way. We're not going to miss it. Get in the procession. Get in the procession. Go into the bride's house. Hallelujah. This is the time. This is the moment. Come on. Come on. Get in this. Get in this. Get in this. Get in this. You can't stay in the house. You can't stay in your comfort zone. You can't stay where you pinned. You gotta get in the procession. We're going to see the king. I said we're going to see the king. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Come on, keep on coming. Keep on coming. Keep on walking. Hallelujah. CJ, just lead him around. One more lap. Come on. One more lap around the sanctuary. Somebody, somebody get in the procession. Somebody get in the parade. Somebody. The lamps are burning. The fire is falling. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Y'all just keep coming. When you get here, just stop right here in the front. Just keep coming. Keep on coming. Hallelujah. Oh, let the Holy Ghost do what He wants to do. You can get your breakthrough right there where you are. You can get your miracle right now. Just keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. The lame man's going to leap like a heart. The tongue of the dumb is going to sing. We're getting in the procession. Glory, glory, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Sisters, come here, come here, just keep coming, keep coming, guys. Keep coming, brother, just usher him in, just go right here, just, we got plenty of room up here, just go all the way to the end of this altar, all the way to the end of this altar, just keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah. Just, just fill all this. Fill this whole altar area. Fill this whole altar area. 
and just stand here. Everybody just stand. I'm looking for people. You may not be with these precious folks that have got in this line. and We're forming up right now because the coming of the Lord is near. I'm looking for people that will get out of your pew, get out of your seat, and say, I don't want to be asleep. I don't want to even be nodding or dozing when the trumpet of the Lord sounds. I'm looking for somebody that's going to be honest with yourself and honest with God. And you've got some dead issues. You've got some old sins that you've never put under the blood. There's old habits that you have never really forsaken. I'm talking to somebody. I don't know who I'm talking to. But I'm talking to somebody in this room right now. You've had these ups and downs. You've been in and out. For a while, you were just 100% dedicated. But something happened and you just started to lose your zeal and your dedication. And you got trapped and got back in that old style, that old lifestyle. That pattern is going to break off of you tonight. That dead issue is going to be done. So I'm looking for people. I don't care what your age is. Does it make any difference, your circumstance or background? But if you want your lamp to be burning, God's going to fill your vessel tonight with fresh oil. He's going to do it going to do it and new fire new fire is going to cause you to burn with more boldness more courage more anointing than you have ever dreamed possible because his coming is that close and the last installment of his outpouring is happening right now in Jesus name everybody lift your hands and get ready for something to happen you got to receive and you must respond I don't know how you're going to respond, but in the name of the Lord Jesus, there's going to be a response to what God does right now. Lift both hands before the Lord and say with me right now, Father, in Jesus' name, I'm standing in your presence. Your spirit is here. I know that you are in this moment to change my life, to transform me, to make me whole, to make me rapture ready. In the name of Jesus, Clean out the dead issues of my life. Remove from me every hindrance that would block the Holy Ghost from filling me with fresh power. In Jesus' name, I receive tonight fresh oil, reserved oil, so that I will burn brightly and be among the wise virgins that are ready for the supper. Ready for the marriage supper in Jesus' name.